Hello and welcome to my special podcast series about inclusivity in digital placemaking and how to assess appetite and aptitude in this work. Digital placemaking seeks to deepen and develop relationships between people and place. I'm Grace Quantock, an inclusion fellow in digital placemaking with Bristol and Bath Creative Research and Design. In this series, I'm exploring how we can assess and develop appetite and aptitude for inclusive digital placemaking in those who hold power and resource. I'll be speaking to inclusion professionals, digital devotees, industry partners, policymakers, and influencers to explore and develop what's possible in an inclusive digital world. Welcome to episode 3 of Electric Inclusivity, Conversations for Influence. Today we're going to be looking at how we have conversations that influence. The questions you hear me ask here are designed to elicit story from the meta to the micro and help shift thinking towards inclusion. It's also taking you as a listener on a journey to shift your experience towards inclusion to elicit your stories and responses. I would be delighted if you share those in the comments on social media with hashtag electricinclusivity and follow me at grace underscore quantock to continue this conversation. Today we're talking to Stephen Hilton. Stephen is the founder and director of Bristol Futures Global Limited, a leading UK smart cities consultancy. He acts as strategic advisor on smart cities and regions to the West of England Combined Authority and is a fellow of the University of Bristol. Stephen is also a trustee at the Bristol Architecture Centre. He has a visual impairment which gives him, as he describes, a unique and valuable outlook on the world. Stephen has worked on smart cities since the term was first invented. He passionately believes that smart cities should be creative, fun, inclusive and democratic places, as well as productive and efficient. We're talking to him about inclusive digital placemaking today. What does discrimination in digital placemaking look like? Um, Mm. So... I suppose my immediate thought is is whether um, discrimination in digital placemaking looks different from discrimination in placemaking. Okay. Whether there's whether there's a distinction um, that is um, specific to the sort of digital world, um, mm. and I and I don't know I don't quite know the answer to that. I, I think in terms of placemaking there are many examples of um, spaces whether those are um, public realm or uh, private spaces I don't know like shopping centres say where the space itself is not necessarily designed in a way that is open or accessible to um, different groups sometimes in fact different groups are actively um, discouraged from um, using those public spaces you know um, 
gangs of young people are not often very welcome in some of our sort of modern shopping centres, for example. So, so I guess there's a there's a sort of sense in which I understand how the physical world um, is is designed or operated to sort of exclude certain groups or to favour others. Mm. In terms of how that translates into the online world mm. um, or the digital world, it's a good question, and I'm not I'm not entire. It is. It, yeah, you know, I suppose the instinct is to answer in terms of you know how how accessible or usable the different sorts of technologies are that people might be deploying in order to create that space, um, and, and there's a whole level of complexity around what's accessible to whom and. I'm thinking very practically around, you know, do things work with screen readers or, or um, for people who can't see very well or, you know, are there technical limitations about the way that content is displayed? But it's, mm -hmm. it, it, I think probably the question is more interesting if it's around how those spaces are sort of managed and curated and um, how different voices are sort of welcomed. Um, and uh, it, 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 I guess, I, I suppose a lot of the time, um, I would suggest that online civic or digital spaces aren't really curated <laughs> so, so so you know they can be they can be a bit of a free for all and um, therefore people may not necessarily recognize them as being sort of tolerant or open or inclusive in terms of you know how they currently operate and therefore people may not feel comfortable in being part of them um, so that's a bit of a rambling answer but, <laughs> but, but Thank you. Because absolutely, um, you know, I think um, we, and this is actually something that I've thought about myself a lot, which is, um, you know, how we have the discrimination in in the in place making in general, in the built space, in the offline world. Um, and I mean, what I have noticed in quite a lot of conversations, generally with people who aren't um, in a, a, a minoritized group and aren't um, involved in tech. So the people who are interested in it, who are perhaps commissioning it, or perhaps um, at kind of a managerial level in it, um, and just generally people who you know, are observing the growing um, digitalization of, of our society, uh, there tends to be this idea that kind of, um, that uh, tech will save us, that digital will liberate, that actually, um, gosh, if we kind of uh, assess job applications by a computer programme, then there will be no bias and, and, and it will be equitable. And, you know, I, mean, I had a conversation recently with somebody about that. I said, well, gosh, who will programme those, those, uh, <laughs> those algorithms? Who, who will make that? And the person said, oh, the tech companies. Uh. Ah, that bastion of liberalism and equity. Wow, you have <laughs> I, I have every faith now in how well that's going. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like often we, we reproduce um, our, we, we bring in digital space, we bring with us our explicit and implicit biases. I say that because, you know, I notice often um, in a lot of uh, white people, in a lot of well meaning people who are, have dominant. Uh, uh, identities in our in our current spaces um, tend to like talking about implicit bias. So I think it kind of lets them off the hook. Like, oh, it's not my fault. I'm being prejudiced. It's it's my unconscious. And I think it's, mm, some of this stuff is actually quite conscious. It's really I, I'm pretty sure that um, it's 
it's really quite explicit. Uh, so I say, you know, the implicit and the explicit biases. You know, people, we, we bring those with us into spaces. Um, and so they reproduce. But I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And also, you know, going a little more specifically, what the obstacles to inclusive digital placemaking there are in your area of work? So, um, I guess it, it, I recognise um, a, a lot of what you're saying. So the, um, the, the, the there's, there's a lot of I guess what you're alluding to is that there's a lot of assumptions that um, are made uh, around how technology might equalize or, or with you know minimize um, discrimination through some sort of uh, machine readable view of what's what's right and wrong and of course it's always far more complicated than that and how those decisions are made are not always um, apparent um, and often they're made at a stage in a in a sort of um, very complicated system. So you know, I imagine the HR person who's buying the software is probably in the example that you gave. You know, they're probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten steps away from whoever it was that thought of the algorithm that was deployed in the first place. So you know, they're unlikely to have had any direct contact or to have any even ability to sort of understand how those things have been programmed so so there's a sort of even where people have got a um uh, a concern to understand the, the the sort of principles behind the systems that are being used it may be just that the decisions have been made so far downstream that it's really hard to unpick them so, well, I, think so I think that's quite a challenge really Next, we get to speak to John Dovey. Professor John Dovey is Professor of Screen Media in the Faculty of Arts, Creative Industries and Education in the University of the West of England. He's the Director of Bristol and Bath Creative Research and Design and the Director of the Southwest Creative Technology Network. John has worked in broadcast, TV and video art for the first half of his career. He works across theory and practice and researches technology and cultural forms. In, 20, in 2008, he launched the Digital Cultures Research Centre at UWE. In 2012, he became the Director of Research and Enterprise for Arts and Creative Technologies, one of the four hubs for the creative economy funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, and he led on the Ambient Literature Project. I'm delighted to speak to John today. I guess... Um... If we began our design conversations from the starting point that um, of, of, of a genuine commitment to inclusion and to understanding the uh, bonds of vulnerability that constitute place and community in some ways, uh, then uh, we might begin to design 
processes, objects and artifacts uh, that actually uh, welcomed everybody into whatever the experience was uh clearly that clearly that has a range of that has a massive range of modality that inclusion has a massive range of modalities from thinking about technology in terms of screen size and uh audio and text and uh manipulability of screens to thinking about uh how participant recruitment and how engagement with users is managed you know there's a there's a there's a, a hundred different ways of thinking about how to do inclusion mm. uh, when it comes to across that spectrum of the, the the technological the design and the human so i suppose um what what that might mean thinking concretely would be um something that as an I suppose uh, that I find difficult to imagine concretely as to what that would actually look like. And I would hesitate to suggest that because I sort of feel like those design propositions would come better from people who have need, have specific kinds of uh, uh, spaces within particular places that they need to be represented in particular kind of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, so I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel imaginatively qualified to specify what kinds of um, projects they might be. Though I could enthusiastically um, participate in uh, conversations about that, but I think the um, that that central principle that actually, if you're thinking about place. And you're thinking about what um, um, actually the the there's a there's a, a book by a woman called uh, uh, Jermaine Halegua that I've been reading reading recently called the Digital City as part of my engagement with this program and she she sort of prefers the term replacing re hyphen placing as opposed to place making because she feels that place making has already been mm, it already has too much baggage. And actually, she prefers re-placing, replacing as a kind of way of thinking of a slightly more activist uh, way of remaking place and remaking community mm -hmm. using digital. And uh, I, I guess if we took that idea about replacing, if you're replacing from an inclusion point of view, then um, all the people who, for instance, couldn't get out, or all the people of restricted mobility, or the people of restricted of, of of different kinds of ways of experiencing the world, all would have ways of accessing what that experience was. That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is actually just making stuff that's specifically aimed at those people, those differently abled people. That that actually is, you know, uh, that that that, and, and actually and actually making sure that that experience is represented in the in the in the in the uh, uh, in those kinds of replacing actions, um, there's quite a lot of um, in terms of what might not be possible. I mean, there's, 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 if you look at the if you if you look at the kind of evidence of where work has happened in this arena, I mean, there's there's a lot of 
I mean, she tells this in this book. She tells a classic story of, of Google going into a into a city in in the states, I think Kansas, and offering a whole load of free connectivity to to the city, and then kind of going, oh, why hasn't it been taken up in all these different post postal all these zip, zip code areas, mm-hmm. and and actually realizing that it's it's not unsurprisingly it's like where the poorest people live. And then going, oh, well, what's that, you know, what, what Google going, oh, what's going on here then? What's this about? We better do some flyering and Google getting down and handing out flyers on the street and still no, and still no take up happening in those spaces. And actually, uh, you know, when they did the, the field work and they went and talked to people, they said, well, this, this shit's just not relevant to us. We don't even have desktops or tablets. We don't have any of that stuff in our homes. We rely on mobiles. And we work with mobiles, and so just associate. They're just so that that's a story about assumptions that the tech community has about its own importance and its own place in the world and its own normativity, right? So, mm-hmm. so actually, in terms of what might not happen, there's a lot of evidence that the kinds of initiatives that have occurred in the past have been designed by and for particular kinds of people, and particular kinds of people, and therefore exclude loads of other kinds of people. Uh, so we have a very, very, very long way to go before we're even beginning to design inclusive placemaking uh, digital initiatives, I think. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, I like the idea of, you know, replacing over the kind of place making. It's much more kind of reclaiming and reorienting. Um, and it's more of an activist intervention than a than a placemaking, which often has also a sort of um, you know the framework a framing of gentrification as well, right? So mm-hmm. you know, making placemaking is making make is is making places attractive to a particular version of capitalist urbanism. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm I'm loving it, and actually, it, the flavour it gives me is um, when uh, we uh, in our in our house in our village. Um, there was an abandoned there was like lots of there's like an old abandoned house and some spotters came and started doing it up and they started redoing the roof and kind of sorting everything out clearing out the rubbish and things we went to say hello to them said you need anything and um they um had like a ramp up to the door where they just kind of built it anyway and we tried to get in the house and um there was still like a board over the door where the door had been boarded up and I said, oh, it's okay, you know, I don't have to come in. Or they said, you know, well, well, carry me over the board, it's fine. And the guy who was kind of leading it, he went, no problem. He just went and got a hammer and just whacked the board out. <laughs> and he just went, no problem, here you go. Come, is there anything else you need? And he just wandered around with a hammer, just smacking anything that was in my way. I was like, this, this <laughs> is the kind of attitude <laughs> wheelchair access, which we need. And I love um, the writer Alice Wong, who recently wrote a fantastic piece about ventilators the New York Times, her um, kind of slogan is make it accessible or burn it down. Yeah. I thought, yeah, yeah pretty much. That's, that's kind of because, you know, it's, um, there's this challenge between, you know, talking people into doing something or saying this is the way, um, you know, we are actually going to reclaim this space ourselves and make it something. Um, and so within that, um, my next question related to what we were talking about before about finances, is in terms of inclusivity what do you think is sustainable and what's unsustainable i mean at the moment we we're just talking about how for many people inclusion has been sustainable right up until there's financial strain at which point it's the first thing that gets chucked it, do you, do you mean do you mean sustainable um in terms of thinking about the particular topic of digital placemaking 
specifically within digital placemaking, yeah, okay. what might be sustainable and not? I mean, and we can take this in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah. self, yeah, yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, I suppose my analysis would be something like this, that because this um, topic is new, and it's a digital placemaking itself is a new thing. So, and it, so that means that inclusion within digital placemaking is even a newer thing. So, given that we're on a margin of a margin, that then then how do you how do you make something sustainable in that condition? Well, I guess what you do is you make a bridgehead, you make an occupation, you make a thing, you make a space somewhere where it, where it happens, and then you and then you secure that and then you reach out to other spaces where it could be possible so the first the first kind of um tactical operation would be to secure a space that you could make where you could make something that was sustainable so that's a question of what kind of alliance would you need uh amongst uh the users of those specific the specific users of those services mm -hmm. uh what user base could you build that could that could that could secure uh an online space that was part of a placemaking uh effort so who would be your user community and how would they and what would that what would that platform offer to them that could then become meaningful right so so that so 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 starting with something that was that was that was small like that so i'm thinking about if you think about uh, is it called next door or our street i think it might be called our street you know there are now some commercial kind of neighborhood community platforms you know people don't just use facebook groups or whatsapp group you know there's now there are some commercial operations that are beginning to spring up in the space of the hyperlocal media or the hyperlocal hyper digital provision uh, um, uh, so it would be a it would be a question of sort of thinking about what what's the what's the equivalent of that for people who have different needs and, the, and who, who see themselves placed within communities in different ways or see themselves excluded by communities in different ways what what, what are those needs and how could you build build something that was related to place and it could be you know, you were talking earlier on about uh, some volunteers just came in and did, did a prescription. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of what what are my, what are the needs that people have? How could they be fulfilled within communities, within with the resources that already exist? How could you build that locally? And then having sort of ima having imagined that, and having tried to institute something like that, I guess I guess then you're thinking about well, how does that how could that become sustainable and and, and replicable? What are its what might its investment models be? How would it relate to healthcare, social care, mental health provision to those kinds of uh, institutions of the state? Uh, how might it relate to uh, subscription service or uh, in, or sponsorship? Those are the, those are basically your models, right? Subscription, mm -hmm. uh, sponsorship, or or state funding and what sort of mixture of those could you envisage in order to make such a service sustainable and replicable 
Mm-hmm. Fascinating, I love it. And um, and it has been interesting seeing some of this in the wake of COVID because, um, you know. listening to Electric Inclusivity, a special podcast series holding conversations with changemakers to develop digital placemaking inclusively. Tune in to our next episode to hear more fascinating conversations on how we build digital futures that we can all be part of.